Hello, this is Ruslan Malinovsky. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk. Hello, I'm Sergey Rebro. And you're listening to Ukraine Post Football. Finally upon us, the first international break of 2023. For us followers of Zbirna, aka the Ukraine national team, it's been a long six months since we were last in action on that cold and windy night in Krakow when Ukraine played out a boring nil-nil draw against Scotland. Alexander Petrikov's last game in charge after an emotionally difficult but ultimately unfulfilling and underachieving reign. He didn't have his contract renewed at the end of December and is now playing his trade in Armenia. Meanwhile, Ukraine have yet to unveil their dream candidate as his full-time replacement. The one they've been chasing since the summer of 2021, Serhii Dabrov, remains elusive for now. He may well take over in the summer, but that's too late for this week's tie. Instead, current under-21 head coach and UPL side Alexandria manager Ruslan Rotain takes care take a charge we'll be discussing that and everything else you need to know about ukraine ahead of this sunday sellout euro qualifier at wembley in this episode and of course as always i've got adam and ray joining me so strap yourselves in guys and where would we be without our guest well, known to regular listeners of the pod, welcome back to Sky Sports News. Russ Taylor, he's fresh, he's had a few weeks off. How are you feeling about this one, mate? Buzzing for it? Well, that's exactly the opposite conversation we had before I came on out when I said I was absolutely exhausted after uh, after a week. And so you've been told to say, yeah, refreshed and ready to go. I am ready to go. Yeah, looking forward to looking forward to seeing the national team back in action. Uh, just playing another team from Britain again. So it just feels like we're stuck in time after Scotland, isn't it? But uh, hope hopeful for something, hopeful for a decent game against England. But uh, yeah, I think I'll let you guys break down the uh, the wonders of what's been happening between those two games since... It's been a been a weird world over the last yep six months. Crikey, it time does fly when we're having fun. I mean, Ruslan Rota, he's been keeping busy, hasn't he, Ray? I mean, how many jobs has he been juggling, and what's the situation with him now going into this international break? Right, as we've been discussing before, this guy is. Um doing three jobs at once. And uh, that's the last time I heard about his number of works. I mean, he's showing good results, as good as it gets with Alexandre in UPL, four draws in the last four games. Are we looking at the fifth draw at Wembley? Would would that be nice? I've got to add in there, Ray. Those four draws that he has had uh, in his first four games as Alexandria manager, the results have been 3-3, 2-2, 1-1, and nil-nil. So as all the jokes have been going on over the past week or so on Ukrainian social media, etc., everyone's going minus one, minus one next week. So I guess that means two own goals. Uh, but I think anyone in Ukraine will take that result. 
<laughs> I think um, judging on some of the stuff we're going to be discussing later on. But yeah, he's obviously also the under-21s manager. And he has been for the past uh, three, four, almost five years, I think. And this summer is the under-21 Euros in Romania and Georgia. So his last big, friendly international break that he has got, which was meant to be this month, this week, when he was meant to be facing good opponents, uh, Denmark under-21s and Italy under-21s, he's actually not going to be in charge of that. Um, (laughs) One of his assistants from the under-21s will be doing that and a few other staff, whereas the majority of his under-21 staff that he usually works most closely with are going to be with the national team. So we're going to have the likes of Vitali Reva is going to be coaching the goalkeepers. We've got Seri Kravchenko, who's been his assistant or is his assistant at Alexandria, the veteran of the UPL. And also Yefeni Hres, who has been his analyst at both under-21s and at Alexandria. So it's going to be interesting, to say the least. We're going to be touching on a bit about tactics and setup later on, but... I think a lot of people uh, are a bit concerned just because of the fact that UAF haven't been able to get Rebrov again. They've sort of made it public that they do want him. However, as of sort of the public knowledge that and everything that the media is saying, he's not officially agreed 100% in terms of he's not signed any contract or anything like that. And I don't think he can do that really until his contract with Alain is over in the summer. Uh, because obviously UAF probably can't pay the large amount of compensation they would likely take to release him from that. And on top of that, in the summer, we've got two ties in June, which are going to be in mid-June, and Serena Brod's contract apparently ends at the end of June. So that's another question. Will Rotan carry on until, until then? And if he is in charge of those two matches, the under-21s Euros takes place two days after the final sort of tie. So it's all crazy. Uh, Rotania is like Superman. He is, he's got it all. Just let's hope that he can remember which squad he's managing um, at Wembley at the time and not think he's playing Minai or someone like that. Hey, Ross, I just, I have to ask you the question. I, we we sit here most weeks sort of, shocked at the organisation of being able to get a manager who isn't busy with a club side and the under-21s. As somebody based in the UK focused predominantly on English football, are we wrong to just see this as complete abysmal organisation by the UAF? Uh, you can you can get Rebrov on the show, so uh, I think it should be fairly easy to try and get him through the door. Uh, but uh, I understand the financial implications and the difficulties there. Uh, Rotan is is an incredible man. He's got more roles than Andrex, hasn't he? He's doing everything. He's you know I half expect him to you know be you know being kit man, come and do physio. Actually, you mentioned Vitali Reva there. I've got his goalkeeping shirt. Uh, we're on a, on a tour many, many years ago, I, I just saw his goalkeeping shirt hung up. And uh, I can't say which official uh, from the uh, Ukrainian Football Federation just gave it to me. 
So I thought, well, that's his international career completely over then because he's genuine. His shirt's in my garage. So if he needs it back at some point, yeah, he might have to. I don't think he can have it back now. He, uh, but uh, yeah, I was very grateful for him. A wonderful gift. It is. It's it's mindless. Yeah, I, we, we understand the difficulty in getting Robert through the door, but there's so much pressure on Rotten doing multiple jobs. And how much pressure is it on him mentally as well? Having to, he's, he's, It's a bit of a thankless task. Really, this situation, we knew what's going to happen with Petrokov. The foundation should have been put in place long before this happened. We've been walking into this for months, haven't we? Last time I was on the podcast, you guys were saying this is going to happen. And we're not messing around here. It's not friendlies. You know, it's, Ukraine have been drawn in incredibly difficult group. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a horrible group to be in. And what you need is some stability. And if that stability, if you don't know who your coach is going to be, how's that going to affect the players? And by the time Rebrov comes in, you could already be in so much trouble in the group that qualification's gone anyway. So it's, it's hard to remain positive it's not a good situation it doesn't reflect very very well because and I'm sure you guys will reiterate it's something which we've seen coming for months and months if not years so why isn't the Football Federation of Ukraine sorted this out quicker? Really is a question that needs answering and we could sit here for hours but we've got other messes to investigate as well I Shakhtar caused a little bit of a scandal didn't they uh playing a player that had been withdrawn earlier in the week from the national team squad in the second half of their game against Rob. I mean, how, how did the rest of the players get on in that game? I know you watched a bit of it, Andrew. Yeah, not too bad. Um, uh, Matt Vienko scored. He was playing a, a bit of a wide role because Bondar and Rakitsky were, were involved from the very start. And... In general, it's Shakhtar knew it was going to be a fairly straightforward game. Stepanenko came off early on in the game because we know that he can't really last full matches anymore because of the multiple injuries he always has. And with the game sort of wrapped up at 2-0, really, they allowed him to come off because he is going to be a key player, especially with the fact that the likes of another serious central defensive midfielder in the Ukraine squad right now isn't available. Well, you've got Sidorchuk, he's not really up to the task and Ikhnatenko is still on the reserve list. So there is every chance that he could get some sort of late call up, but it seems unlikely. On top of that, I think we also have to mention Thursday's result. Uh, as much as we don't want to, <laughs> they lost 7-1 in the Europa League to Feyenoord. I was at the game. Great atmosphere. Uh, Feyenoord really are a top team at the moment. They beat Ajax this weekend in the Classica and look to be set for the Eredivisie title. So that says a lot. However, there were a lot of questions, I guess, of Konoplya, who was the player that Adam mentioned, was withdrawn from the national team squad after that 7-1 game because he had a either a groin injury or some kind of injury that he wants to recover from over the next couple of weeks while there's no uh, competitive club games. However, I think a lot of people were surprised when he came on. And after the game, Shakhtar released a little interview with him where he said, yeah, I'm playing on injections most games and I really sort of need to sit out this period um, and see what happens. So, I mean, potentially it's one of those things, oh, wow, he played 45 minutes, but it's it's probably more important for him to sit out the next two weeks. However, in that final game, we saw, I think, 
a weakness from Canoplia. So I think it might even be a good thing that he's not involved from this for this window. Just needs to get out of the system. Maybe that injury is affecting him defensively. Valeri Bondar alongside him in that game wasn't too convincing. And Bondar is on the reserve list and hasn't been called up yet. The fact that Popov was was called up beforehand as well. So it shows that Rotan doesn't fully trust him. In general, we've got the likes of Bondarenko, Sudakov, who have played and started most of Rotan's under-21 tenure. So he's very familiar with a lot of the young players that Shakhtar have got. And fingers crossed he can sort of work something out where he's got them playing well. And then on top of all the sort of foreign-based players that are going to be coming in, that will obviously aid the side exponentially with the with the form that we've seen of uh, Zinchenko. Uh, Malinovsky not been playing too bad recently. Tahankov, of course. And uh, even Mudrik, potentially. But we'll be touching on that a bit later on. As... Andrew mentioned there, the game on Thursday, we're not going to dive into too much, but it has wrapped up Ukraine's domestic European season, so to speak. Uh, the coefficients, as we've mentioned in the past, have been important because this 15th place has been a key target as, as Ukraine has started to fall a little bit down the, the table. We are presently 14th. And that does mean that we're going to get five teams in Europe. If we had finished the 16th, of course, we would have lost a team in the Champions League for the following year. However, with Shakhtar's departure from Europe, has been confirmed that Ukraine lose its automatic UCL spot from the 2024-2025 season. And the champions will need to go through the qualification process, which we hope will be productive process for uh, the future champions. Shakhtar, as a club, we would hope to see work their way through it to get to the group stage. But we know that difficult games and difficult teams will lie ahead. Looking elsewhere, Dinamo, obviously, have a few players in the squad. Not as many as in previous seasons, but Ray, they... Uh, didn't go haven't gone into this international break in the the finest of form and neither were they able to hold on to that europa league spot not to mention champions league spots right so i guess we are looking at shakhtar zoria the famous duo from donetsk and luhansk on top of the table i think it happened before after covid right the the very season when we started uh, this part and hey we're coming back. It's it's a full circle now for Dynamo. Also, it was really nice to see the game against Zoria because uh, even though they beat Nipro 1 a week earlier, it's evident now that Nipro team from the recent match with Veres when they scored in the beginning and Veres was that bad that they couldn't change the course of the game. Whereas the team from Nipro were just not that in control as previously. And obviously, after Ajax uh, disaster and uh, rumors about players and all that, you know, sponsorship which they lost from the booking agency, it probably has affected the team. Of course, we're gonna touch on Veres and the other teams in the middle of the table, or shall I say, relegation battle, uh, slightly later in the pod. But long story short, Dynamo not looking good and won't be looking good until the end of the season, I would say. Touching on that game, it is worth mentioning that the 
representatives for the national team that will be playing or featuring potentially in the squad over the next week or so uh, against England at Wembley didn't feature. Well, Popov did. He's been recently called up from the reserve list. But the two key players that probably have got more of a chance of actually either starting or coming off the bench, Alexander Karavayev, who's probably going to be the Ukrainian right back uh, against England, and Vitaly Buyalski, who's Dinamo's probably their best player, their talisman of late, and someone who's remained relatively elusive of the national team under both Petrikov and Shevchenko has got another chance at potentially making it in, albeit the fact that Rotanya is only in for this one game is sort of doesn't really give too much away about the future of, of the national team. This is very much a loading screen, I think, international break where we're just waiting until something else happens. Just to chip in on uh, Dynamo players, I mean, Boyalski is Dynamo's talisman these days. I would call Brashko from Zoria Dynamo's talisman because he, uh, Dynamo owns rights on him and he wanted to destroy that team last, last match. He said in the interview that I will show them that they were wrong. He tried his best, but of course he didn't score. The Panama guy, believe it or not, scored to Dynamo, the decisive goal. And I'm not sure if I'm gonna, if we're gonna hear about this guy again, because uh, just to mention Zoria, it's a good transfer for them. And uh, I won't mention his name because if he continues, then we will have more of the reason to mention him. First we mention his name, then his last name, and then like it gets bigger. And going back to the topic of Dnipro 1, like Ray mentioned, they beat Veres in a very low quality game. They lost to Dinamo in the week previous. They're out of Europe. Potentially, their season might be slowly unraveling. They're currently three points behind Shakhtar in the title race. And they seem to have lost a bit of that cutting edge work that they had in the first half of the season, where even if it wasn't going their way, they managed to scrape victories left, right, and centre. And it seems that everyone's a bit more equal now. Zoria on the ascendancy as well. Albeit, Zoria, there's no actual representatives from uh, that club at, it, at the national team this window. So that's going to be quite interesting. From Dnipro 1, we've got Pichalionok. He scored the goal against Veres. Had an all right season so far alongside Artem Dovbik, who obviously I'm sure... A few Brits will know he scored against Scotland back in uh, the World Cup playoff last year. He scored against Sweden in the Euros and he's the current UPL top scorer. So he is most likely going to be the starting centre forward against England. And fingers crossed we can see him continuing that. But he's one of those players where he can get isolated and I sort of worry potentially um, that that could be the case. But the alternative is Roman Yaremchuk, who's currently at Club Bruges. And, you know, you can't really say that anyone's having a worse season than him, really, uh, be it his own fault or someone else's. You know, he's out of form. He's lacking confidence. He's not scored it since, I think, November or December. It's like a really sort of low point since, obviously, leaving Benfica last summer for... Uh, for a club record fee to Bruges, 17 million. And he's just really not been able to hit the ground running at all 
like he did when he was playing for Ghent a few years ago. And then you've got the final two players, Edward Sarapi, centre-defensive mid slash centre-back. He can play in either of the roles, so he'll be back up most likely to Stepanenko and Sidorchuk if either of them get seriously injured in that holding midfield role, but also can provide cover at the back as well. So, for example, with Zabarni at Bournemouth potentially being out, he could be an understudy there. We've got Alexander Svatok, 28-year-old centre-back, Dnipro 1 captain. I mean, he's been around, he's been at Hajduk Split, he's been at FC Dnipro in the past, and I wouldn't call him the best centre-back in the world, but it seems there's high potential that he could be starting against England if they deploy, if Rotang deploys a a two or a three in the middle of defence because he seems to be the most experienced um, to play alongside Mikola Matvienko there because Zabani, as we've mentioned, is injured. Got Serapi in there. Mikola can play, but probably more in a three. So it's going to be interesting to see. And then obviously Dennis Popov, the, the fact that he wasn't called up in the initial squad and has only come in from the reserves seems to indicate that probably Rotan prefers Svatok over anyone. So a Ukraine debut could be on the cards at Wembley. That's that's the main bulk of the UPL players that are involved. Quick touch on that. Denis Miroshnichenko, who used to play for Karpaty Lviv, and he's been all over the place in the UPL. Currently at Alexandria, he's been drafted in from the reserve list by his club manager um, into the full into the full squad uh, because of Konoplya, who we mentioned earlier at Shakhtar, He's injured, so he's been brought in as sort of backup for that. And on top of that, we've also got Mikita Shevchenko, who used to play for Zoria. He's currently Alexandria. He's the third choice Ukraine keeper now because Dmitry Riznik is injured, who's currently playing for Shakhtar. And on top of that, on the reserve list, the other goalkeeper, despite the fact he's already retired twice <laughs> from the national team, and he had a massive send-off, uh, last summer where people were sort of lifting him up around the, the centre circle and everything else. Piatov. Um, but fingers crossed, it doesn't seem likely that he is going to get that call. Don't, don't forget about Reva. I mean, remember the time when Shubkovsky was training with the guys? He had to get his kit all patched up. Reva can be up for that. He can't play, Ray. He hasn't got a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> An interesting uh, UPL weekend. Before we you know, dive back into the the big game coming up, Ray looking quite crazy. And I'd say the bottom, but it's kind of bottom two thirds of the league, isn't it this year? Apparently, the everything below fifth position, which is the last conference league spot, below fifth, it's all up for grabs. In the next thirteen matches, it can all flip upside down. We have sixteen teams, and eleven of them, as I just said are within six points from each other. So this is something I, I honestly don't remember because usually, you know, we had these different formats of the league. We had two groups. Now we have like 16 teams again. Everybody dreamt of that, like in the 2000s and 90s. Let's have the U- United League with 16 spots. And now we have this. And as we could see, I don't know if you call if you can call Ukraine a football country. It's a point of discussion for next time, not now. And whether we can call uh, the league strong or weak, 
maybe the weakest in history, as a lot of people say, but I don't agree with that. And if you look at the table, I mean, it probably would show you that, I mean, fight is on, you know, no one's going to throw in the white towel, I'm going to tell you that much. And apparently in this, uh, this match day, there were a couple of headlines. If you see the results of metal, both medalists, uh, albeit um, all, both of them are now surviving and not looking into the future with uh, bright hopes. But nevertheless, uh, the match against Forskla proved that Paolo Isenko, uh, the youngster who is an, a penalty expert and also a good guy, if you talk football shithousery, as I mentioned in previous part, he is actually a revelation because uh, I just saw the couple of episodes about Vera's show and he he was producing miracles in winter time. And now he's continuing doing that. He's basically saved the game. And that's not the first game he saves for Worskla, no. We know Worskla not, not showing their best football. They have not been uh, doing that ever since their um, clash with uh, Aik at last summer. The point is, this guy is worth mentioning and you need to follow him another game which i did not expect much from lviv krivbas 2-2 uh, as i mentioned previously the betting company which sponsored half of teams in the league not 11 but almost the same number they left ukraine luckily it's a it's a it's another point to mention and a reason to celebrate personally for me as I, you know football ukrainian football aesthetic Expert, the point is the teams have replaced this sponsor with either Slava Ukraini, Slava Zesu, Heroem Slava, and I don't need to translate these three phrases in English. So it looks nicer now, and it definitely helps Lviv because they came back against Krivbas. Of course, Krivbas had a sent off, and everybody's saying that the, the um, referees are killing the team, you know. But my question is how can you kill a president's team? How can you ever think about threatening? Zelensky's team in this day of age, right? So I'm pretty sure their future is looking good, you know? They're very ambitious. Uh, Vares lost to Dnipro, did not convert anything from 85 minutes of the game all the way after they considered a goal. Not looking good for that team. Uh, Yuri Virt, the coach, the legendary, another legendary keeper in the past, hope he doesn't make his way nowhere near a national team, you know? But the point is, it appears that he has lost the dressing room. Uh, again, coming from the show uh, from uh, Dmitry Povoroznyuk, it shows that it's it's evidence that, um, I don't know, I, I don't want to say that, but guy lacks charisma. You know, like in dressing room, like it, it, we, we should see that, of course. We should see the uh, team's uh, coaches like, you know, Ted Lasso or Mourinho, how they speak. You know, it's not Amazon. It's not... Uh, um, Sunderland till I die, but it's something, right? And we see that Virt is just—he's probably—you should not hang on to him like as if he's Alex Ferguson, you know? Come on. And that being said, we have to mention Ruch, who sacked Leonid Kuchuk. <laughs> this guy—he was like an emperor in Vinniki, you know. He had this a yellow black Mercedes, as we remember from two years back, and he was showing results as good as it gets from a Belarusian coach in uh, Lviv team, you know, it, we'll see, we'll see who replaces him. It might be Ivan Fedik, the Ukrainian uh, young manager who everybody was praising a couple of years back, but we'll see. And worth just adding in there, Ray, that 
The other Lviv club in the UPL, FC Lviv, that you mentioned just shortly before, have also sacked their manager or parted ways with Oleg Dulub. And obviously, slightly surprising after having a relatively good few results since the start of the, uh, the restart. Uh, 1-0 against Menai, getting that draw against Krivbas, uh, losing to Zoria, which I think was a formality anyway. And it seems that apparently, according to Igor Tsahanek, Tato Tsukir, they wanted to bring in Volodymyr Maziar, who used to be their manager like ages ago, um, or Gilmar, remember him? Um, he was also a previous FC Lviv manager, but had to go because he didn't have the correct uh, qualifications. But neither of those two people have been selected and the immortal one is back for anyone who's been listening to us for a few years. Anatoly Besmertny, which Besmertny in Ukrainian means immortal. He's risen from the dead again. And he's back at FC Lviv, which will be interesting because he, he was okay. He was pulling out some crazy results back here, back when he was there, but then it all stagnated and he ended up leaving. So time will tell for that one, but they're currently bottom of the table and it's not looking too promising, especially after the fact that they brought in about 15 players in the transfer window. And, you know, when you're, when you're sacking managers, not based on results per se, and Tata's care reporting that and the staff and the, players weren't too happy the fact that they found out that he'd gone um, might not end too well for this side and uh, ironically I don't think too many people are going to miss them if uh, they do get relegated uh, Chernomorets won against Inholets so Inholets Kovalets Serenade is over for now two, two matches two victories but Chernomorets is stronger at the point they looked better and uh, as, as you know like I feel for Odessa team, right? So I, I really wish they stay and they are showing that now. But again, if we look into the next match day, we have to follow it really closely and really precisely because any, everything can change. It's probably the only league these days which you don't watch the first five or the last two, but you watch 11 teams. It is a crazy league this year. It really is seeing everybody so compact in the middle. And we're going to bring it back. Ross, uh, the big game at Wembley, the home of football. What's the mood in England anyway after the World Cup? I mean, are people optimistic about this campaign? I've heard rumours of sort of negativity towards Southgate. Um, what's the form of the players going in? What sort of team can we can we expect to see during this international break? Very mixed. I think the uh, last couple of tournaments feel like missed opportunities. I think uh, there's some people who are glass half full, glass half empty. Uh, it's for me, I kind of think, well, at least England are getting close. And you keep thinking if we get close, then at some point we'll surely get over the line. Uh, there wasn't a great deal between England and France, you know, and, uh, you know, it was there was very, very little. And it's like, well, fantastic. We can match up these teams. But there is that feeling that, you know, particularly with the Italy game coming up, <laughs> revenge is the wrong word. But that one feels like the huge missed opportunity for England to, you know, in your own, you know, in your own stadium uh, and, We've, it's just been felt that England have got themselves into good positions and, and tailed off and, and become a little bit meek. 
from my point of view, it, it feels like when the pressure's off, England, England do well and can qualify. And it's, you know, and, and that might not be a problem. I think most England fans will probably be happy with a point on Wednesday in Napoli against Italy. And then we'll expect a win against England. Uh, fans are excited, particularly about the call-up of Ivan Tony, I know he has some uh, potential charges coming up uh, regarding uh, alleged betting uh, that he's made on football and that, that could impact him and, and could he could receive a, a lengthy ban. But Southgate said that, you know, he wants him in the team because he, he believes he's, you know, on form, he's a very, very good player. And I think people are excited to see new faces come in because there's a dearth, and Southgate was talking about this, there's a dearth of English players to pick from, which is a strange situation when you think Premier League, best league in the world, etc. But there isn't a great deal of players and there isn't a great deal of change. So this squad is very similar to the last squad in the next, the major tournament and the squad before that. So perhaps a little bit, the t- you know, the clock is ticking on these players to go out and, and get a result. The thing about qualifiers for England fans is when the smack in the middle of a Premier League season, they sneak up. And a lot of England fans feel, well, it it almost comes at the wrong time. You know, they want, there's an expectation that they should be at major tournaments. And that's when England fans really do get excited. This is seen as well, you know, Italy, you know, well, we we should take something. We should finish in the top two of that group. And unfortunately for England fans, Sunday should be a formality. So I can't say expectations wild. Uh, They want to see a couple of new players, particularly I think interest will be in Ivan Tony, see if he gets the start, see if he gets the goals. And and I think that will be a good story because at the moment there isn't a great deal of new players coming into the England squad. And that's not potentially exciting for for England fans. So much of a muchness since Roman 2021, Andrew. How how are we expecting Rotan to take on this game? Well, I think it's going to be an interesting one to be honest, because obviously Rotan manages two other teams alongside this role too. He's been the under-21 manager for the past four or five years. And also he's been Alexandria manager for the past two, three months. In his club side, he's been playing a 4-2-3-1 system where it seems pretty standard for Ukraine of the past seven years or something under Shevchenko, under Petrikov. Petrikov did experiment with three at the back uh, in some games, but predominantly it was four. So playing four, four, four defenders, two holding midfielders, three sort of attackers. You got two wingers, an attacking midfielder, and then a lone striker. And I mean, it seems to seems to fit in with the current players that he's got at his disposal, in all honesty. Um, He wants to play ball-playing football. He wants to be that kind of guy. It's called Rotan style, uh, in inverted commas, as as they call it in Ukraine. Um, He likes to play counter-pressing, trying to dominate possession if possible. However, against England, I don't think that's going to be the case. Because obviously... Ukraine are coming for an away game. It's going to be a packed out Wembley. Despite what Russ has been saying about the fact that maybe there's not much new blood in the England squad, there's still plenty of quality. And even the fact that Rashford, Pope and Mason Mount aren't going to be featuring because they're out injured. That doesn't really weaken England too much because as we remember, Rashford, despite the fact he's been in the form of his life, Southgate prefers to start other players um, out out wide. 
maybe the fact that Sterling's not in, Rashford might have had more of a chance, but it means whoever's going to be playing right back for Ukraine, Karavayev, Miroshnyshenko, whoever, might have a slightly easier night um, than they would have been facing against that guy. He probably is one of the most informed players in all of Europe or world football. Um, going back to this game, though, and Rotain, it'll be interesting. I think Ukraine will probably want to sit back a bit uh, for sure, try and soak up as much pressure as possible, try and not concede early because we know what can happen if that happens against England and and try and hold out as much as they possibly can and play on that counter with the electric wingers that Ukraine have got at the moment in Mudrik and Sahankov and try and feed one of the forwards that will will be starting to be that Dovbit, Yadimchuk um, and whatever else. However, Adam, I think me and you, we've been speaking recently and you think that potentially three at the back might work. What's your take on that? Yeah, my, my memories go back to the, the game in Paris at uh, the start of the last qualification game where it was that deep, uh, I think it was like 5-4-1 five, five, almost, wasn't it, with just Yarmouchuk up front ploughing a, a lone for a Sidachuk scoring the freakiest of equalisers we've ever seen in world football to, to get the 1-1. One, one. I see, yeah, a 5-4-1 a with a deep 4-1. That re- Something really compact I'd like to see. Stepanenko right. sitting in front of that defensive line, mopping up, looking at some of the potential injuries, especially with Zabani. I feel it's too soon for him. I know, I think most sort of general consensus is it's too soon for him. Maybe three is pushing it, uh, three central defenders, but a four with a one and Stepanenko, like we've seen with Shakhtar, where he drops into that defensive line to really sort of solidify it out and make a wall almost. I completely agree. I think you look at the squad, and it says that says a back five straight away. And I was going to ask you guys the question: Where do you think the goals are going to come from? Because looking at that squad, I don't see goals. I see plenty. I see a back five. I see you know probably a hold it. Yeah, definitely Stepanenko. But I see Ukraine sitting in deep and just trying to frustrate. But I don't see where the goals are going to come from. And, and you're quite right about Dovbik. I can just see him being very very isolated. So I'd be interested to know where you think the goals will come from. Oh well, Ross. Um... I think there's a lot of people in Spain going to be screaming out the answer to you. <laughs> so, no, I'm going to ask Ray, because Ray loves talking in Spain. You know, he's down there in Argentina. Where, where are the goals going to come from, Ray? I wish they came from around here, you know, but it requires some visa work, yeah, diplomatic. I might be assisting that maybe if we, if we beat England, you know, and, or maybe if we don't. But my point is, you just mentioned the traits of a manager who is getting along with the players. You just described Lionel Scaloni right there. Are we looking at another Scaloni in Ukraine's charge? I'm not sure, but uh, it's not only uh, man management, right? In uh, football managing, it's something else. Yeah, something money cannot buy, something uh, your other two workplaces cannot um, affords, you know, like Alexandria and under 21. If I look at the squad of under 21 last uh, in last game of, with Slovakia last year, they had 4-3-3. So that's probably Rotten style you talk about. But the problem is we cannot 
play three up front because <laughs> those guys are going to be Yermolenko, Konoplanka, and Yaremchuk. You know, in the worst of scenarios, if we play five in the back, we need someone like Tehanko, as you said, and Mudrik. And yes, Tehanko has been really good this weekend in Girona. He scored a brace, and he's he's really a huge hope for the, this particular game. And also, he is the guy who scored against Spain. Remember when we beat Spain in Kiev? That was a big game. That was a big team playing against us, and we, and we beat that. Uh, bottom line is, uh, yeah. Goals is the, another question. And given uh, Tehankov's um, ability, or not a talent, but just like a disadvantage, a downgrade of this guy that he is kind of, you know, I think it would be better for him if he comes on as a sub in, in that kind of game. Because if you let him start, he might as well go bleak and shut down for a good 60 minutes. So let him do his job in the last 30. And that's the only guy I can really vouch for because obviously if you let Mudrik play against England, well, he's that's double motivation. But that's only two guys I'm really, um, really confident about. Yeah, I'm just going to add in there. I think that three at the back could work quite well. As Adam mentioned, Zabarni is in the squad, but it's very unlikely or he shouldn't be starting against England. He's not played since November. He played a bit in the Dynamo Kiev training camp during the winter, but then he's been injured for the past two months. He's only just come back to the grass and he, Gary O'Neill at Bournemouth said that he will be ready to return or feature in that first game back after the international break. I don't really think it's going to be a, a smart thing to get him back straight from the off here. And I think even Bournemouth might have, have a say in that. So we will see. By the time people are listening to this, it might even be the fact that Zabani is pulled out. But it, it's just worth taking that into account that he probably is Ukraine's best uh, centre-back per se, um, other than Matvienko, of course, who probably will be one of those centre-backs. Then me and Adam were talking about this. Mikolenko could be one of those three centre-backs because he's done it in the past against some of those teams that we, we've mentioned against France. Um, I think he played against possibly Finland at the back, three at the back as well. Yeah, we remember the penalty. <laughs> yeah, so he's more than capable of doing that. And I feel that the, the more defenders, especially against the likes of possibly Kane, possibly um, Saka and on the wings, it's going to be a bit of a carnage. And then what you do is, inst because Ukraine have got an all right midfield selection to pick from. They've got Stepanenko, who can sit. And then in front of him, they can have the likes of Malinovsky and Bondarenko. Bondarenko has been playing really well in the Champions League this season. Um, and I feel that he's more than a, more than comfortable with playing that sort of slightly advanced role in front of Stepanenko, um, sort of dictating play, trying to start attacks and go from there. And, you know, if Malinovsky doesn't work, possibly Sudakov because he's equally been really creative and interesting. However, what I think we need to touch on quickly is the wingbacks. So what we've got is on the left, I think Zinchenko, wingback. He's been playing at left-back. Yeah, we know he's been playing free role, etc. And usually for Ukraine, he plays centre-mid. But I just feel that with the current limitations in the squad, he might probably be the best option there. And you know what? It might even 
it won't happen, but it might even be worth maybe playing like a false nine kind of thing and maybe leaving the likes of Dovbik or Yadam Chukov, albeit it won't happen, but um, you can only hope. Interesting, interesting nonetheless. I think another, just before we, I let Ray uh, continue, Yadam Malenko, he's, I think, less than 50% ready to play. He's unlikely to feature because he's not featured for Alain for over a month since he got injured. Alexander Zubkov, who's also on the right wing, He's done his hamstring in against Feyenoord, so he's not travelling. Oleksii Hutulak, he plays for Dnipro 1, he did his hamstring against Dynamo Kiev uh, two weeks ago, so he's on the reserve list, so he can't even be called up from the reserves. We've mentioned Konoplia enough times on this episode, he's out. So there is a bit of a problem, and I think maybe the only person who can save it is Wembley Royalty. Am I right, Ray? Yevhen Konoplyanka has been called back to the national team for the first time since pre-Euro 2021. Um, we've spoken about this a lot on previous pods, but for anyone new listening, what's your take on it and what's everyone else's take on it in Ukraine? Thanks. The backstory is that he's just come back from injury. And at the same time, in uh, Rakov, uh, in Ekstraklasa, in Poland, Kocerhin has been destroying everyone and everything. Uh, the guy from Azoria who's been playing in Poland for a couple of years, he's been really good. And uh, Rotan just took on Blanca because he thinks he's an extraordinary player. And as you said, they get along well. They play together in Dnipro. And, well, the president of um, UAF is also from Dnipro. And I don't need to continue from there. Uh, bottom line is, uh, I wouldn't call Blanca in Webley royalty. Of course, it's like, I appreciate the sarcasm, but... Uh, gosh, it's a disaster, actually. I mean, you know, and we should just hope that uh, Rotan doesn't mix his, um, like, I need to mention Lobanovsky here. So we all heard about Lobanovsky conspects or Lobanovsky documents. So I don't know how to translate it in English, but everybody in Ukraine knows that. So any coach who comes after Lobanovsky since 2002 coaaching the any big team in Ukraine is familiar with Lobanovsky conspects. So let just just let's make sure that Rotan doesn't switch does not confuse his uh, conspects for U21, Alexandria, and national team. Because we might as well see Alexandria lineup or Wembley, unless Rotan follows his, his mind. And uh, again, once again, uh, I think we are looking at the um, generation shift in, in Zbirna anyway. So Rotan is brought back to the national team for that. I don't know if Rebrom comes there. Uh, Rotten said that Rebro helped him pick the squad. But uh, so far, if Rebro comes or not, this is the beginning of the new uh, national team era uh, with younger players. And, well, yeah, when you see Konkranka in the squad, it doesn't really help my what I'm saying now. But, I mean, yeah, just let's just trust us. Just trust us on that. And one, more, one last thing I have to mention. I'm just curious whether after the England game, anyone is going to mention the previous coach for national team. Are we looking at Petrakov ghost over that team or not? That's another big thing, you know. Moving on, Crane this week have been based at Brentford's training ground. This is apparently something that was organised prior to Petrakov leaving because he's got quite a good relationship with Thomas Frank and they've known each other since their sort of international youth coaching days. Petrakov came to the Premier League, I think, last August 
or something like that. He watched a few games. I think he watched the Brentford drubbing of United and, you know, got a few notes and everything like that. And that relationship most likely helped Ukraine to agree to play a friendly against Brentford B team uh, at AFC Wimbledon Stadium in a very strange behind closed doors event. I was informed that it was related to the fact that Brentford didn't want fans involved and they didn't want any media representation because it would have been unfair on getting British media involved and things like that. Something quite strange all in all. It was played behind closed doors in front of a select crowd of friends and family of the players, I think. Ukraine won 2-0. It looks like Ruslan Rotan is going for the classic 4-2-3-1. In, in that match, he played two different 11s slash Boyalski played the full 90 minutes, basically, but the rest of the team, each each half, was different. On top of that, there was a number of absences. Alexander Zinchenko was given a rest. Anatoly Trubin didn't play. I think Sidorchuk had a bit of an illness. And Yarmolenko is still recovering from his injury. So we'll see how that all ends up towards the end of the week. But, I mean... A strange friendly, not the highest quality, I'm pretty sure. Watch the highlights. It wasn't anything intense or anything special, just a nice little run out for the players to see how they're going to do. But with the fact that Svatok started at the back, it seems most likely he's going to be in there with Matvienko. And in the highlights, Stankov didn't look too bad on the on the right alongside Sudakov, who scored a banger of a goal. And if anyone does want to watch those highlights, you can do on Brentford social media i saw it on twitter so do give it a go there uh, i don't think that probably it's going to have too much impact another club versus country game for ukraine over the past couple of years which obviously they had a few last year don't go down in the record books which some people in ukrainian media have a bit of a, a negative viewpoint at. oh no these players aren't getting caps for friendlies uh and all that kind of stuff uh so 90 plus thousand in the ground there should be some special commemoration things for Ukraine because obviously England, the UK and Ukraine have been very supportive of one another. Uh, Ukraine fans have got a few things planned over uh, at the stadium. So do be on the lookout if you see any Ukraine fans giving out little Ukraine flags prior to the entrance as they might be involved in something when when the game kicks off. Um, they are also coming up with a new song, uh, which they'd like some England fans to, to join in on. However, I'm going to refrain from letting you know about that until I've got more confirmation as to whether we actually will go with it. Because let's just say the song's a controversial one with its old lyrics. Its new lyrics are completely fine. But I'll, uh, I'll leave that as a bit of mystery. Listen to this space, everyone, for further news there. I think that's more or less it for tonight, isn't it, guys? Um, however, on a night like tonight, we can't let people leave without putting their necks on the line and giving some predictions for how they think the, the big match is going to go. Uh, Ray, I'm going to come to you first. It'll be, it, it will be a quick one for me this time. Uh, remember last, last time we played England's? was uh, Shevchenko game, it's Euros uh, quarterfinal, was it? Yeah, Four, it's 4-0. Four 
and everybody praised the quality of the game. We lost everything, but we showed our our style of play. And don't look at the scoreboard. It doesn't show you the real deal. We played our game. We were dictating. We stayed true to our values, what Shevchenko used to say back then. Is I don't want that to be the case now. I, I'm pretty sure we're looking at a boring game uh, with one nil to England, probably in the last 20 minutes. Ross, are you going to be as quick as that? Yeah, three nil England. I'm so sorry. Uh, this that's what I've got. But I've got a temp- usually my predictions. If I predict something, when I predict something on Soccer Saturday, it goes completely wrong. So your entire nation has never had a better chance now than me predicting an England win. You're in a stronger position than you were just seconds earlier. Yeah, I just I, unfortunately I, for all the aforementioned reasons, I think it will be. Comfortable. I think England will be on a bit of a crest of a wave as well and want to prove something. Players like Saka again, if Tony gets a run out. Uh, I'd, like I said, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. I wish I could be more positive to you gentlemen, but I'm going to say 3-0 England. And then you can call me back next week when I'm completely incorrect and Ukraine have won 3-0 and you can castigate me for my terrible predictions. Deal, deal. You're wrong. <laughs> Andrew? Um. Well... I don't blame Russ because especially everything that everyone's heard, I'm sure, in this episode, it doesn't sound too hunky-dory. Russ mentioned that Gareth Southgate said there was a sort of a, a birth of English talent. Currently for Ukraine, it seems the same, but due to injuries and selection issues and everything like that, which isn't great. And when you add on top of the manager problems and the fact that Ukraine hasn't played for six months and everything else, it doesn't sound good. But I am always a um, a dreamer, an optimist. And I remember the last game, the 4-0, that was terrible. I think Ukraine were killed off because England scored way too early. It was like four minutes in, Krivtsov caught sort of stuck in cement sort of on the ground and Kane beat him and, and that was it. Harry Maguire bloody scored two against Ukraine. Like, where is he now? He's still in the squad. And for some reason, I kind of want him to play because of everything that we know how bad he's been in of late. But you just know he might pop up again and get his the next two goals of his career. And then he's like going to retire and he's only going to have four goals and they will come against Ukraine. But anyway, I think I'm going to go for a bit more positive. I'm going to go one all. Uh, I think that Mihailo Mudrik is going to do an Andrei Almolenko where he doesn't do anything for his club and he loves turning up for his country. It'll be his first official goal for his country. Wembley, where better? And you can just hear the headlines now. Why can't he do that for Chelsea? So that will be pretty decent. I'll take that. And obviously it'll be some sort of stupid penalty VAR decision that uh, England will equalise from. Ivan Tony penalty. And um, <laughs> hopefully Ukraine, <laughs> Ukraine can hang on. To the bitter end, um, because Rotan, as we have mentioned, he's got four draws. Even if that Brentford friendly is a thing, we'll discard that. We're going for five on the bounce. Give us another one. Oh, thank you for that. You put a smile on my face there to, to finish off proceedings. But, but, but I'm going to say two one Ukraine. I said it in the quarterfinals and I was completely wrong then. This time, though, I'm going to be completely right. It's going to be 2-1. Oh, 
we should we should point out no matter what uh, top two qualify for uh, automatically for Euro 2024 and Ukraine have a very good shout if in third place to go through the playoff route as well. We will be cheering on Scotland there to qualify automatically and free up the spot in the playoffs for Ukraine. Um, but yeah, that's it tonight. It's been great fun as always, guys. Uh, Ross, thanks so much for joining us. I'd like to. I'd like to be there, but uh, since I've just predicted that England will win three 0 no one will want me there really because I've I've, I've been a curse for both teams. But uh, now I'll be uh, an interested onlooker as always. But uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully I'll be uh, I'll, I'll be wrong one way or another. But likely watching it from home, unfortunately. Guys, it's been great fun. Everyone at home as well. Hope you really enjoyed this international break. Have a great few weeks supporting Sabina wherever you are in the world. And until next time, everyone, take care, stay safe, and goodbye for now. Bye-bye.